Figuring Out Family. I'm thrilled to be able to present this interview to you. Um, if you want to make more putts, this is going to be one to tune into and listen to. I had the opportunity to sit down with Sam Hahn, who's the CEO of Lab Golf. Um, and we basically kind of talk through Lab Golf's technology and how it's different from what currently exists on the marketplace in the putter game specifically. So, if you want to learn more, this is a high value podcast. There's a lot of information. Um, Sam, excuse me, shares a, a little bit about how his putters work and, and what makes them different. But we also get into sort of his background and funny stories that you know he's encountered um, and funny memories he's had while being the CEO of Lab Golf and, and getting to tour and meet some of uh, you know PGA as well as live uh, golfers. So this is an awesome, uh, an awesome listen. Really enjoyed it. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Huge shout out to Sam and Lab Golf as well. Enjoy, guys. All right, I'm honored. This week, we have on the CEO of Lab Golf, Sam Hahn. How's it going, man? Awesome. How are you doing, buddy? Dude, I'm just stoked to have you on. I've been like manifesting this moment for like a couple weeks now. So, you know, I emailed you prior to Christmas and you were down to do it. Like marquee guest to date. So I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the pod. It is absolutely my pleasure. I love doing podcasts. I love talking putters, ma'am. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to start, you know, with tech, with a quote that I found on your guys' website that really stood out in my mind as something that I think people just needed to hear. So it's a Winston Churchill quote. I mean, so a game whose aim is to hit a very small ball into an even smaller hole with weapons singularly ill-designed for the purpose. And I just wanted to dive into that. I think that's like a really awesome place to start, man. I love that quote. And uh, I mean, it's so true. I mean, if you, you know, if you're a golf fan, you know, and you, and you play a bunch, at some point you've had a moment on the golf course. Um, Am I, am, I, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, no, we're big okay. swears on the pot, so please. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck am I doing out here? What is this stupid-ass club and this stupid-ass ball with this totally arbitrary set of rules? And um, and yeah, I mean, there's uh, um, there's a lot of things about golf club design specifically that like, you know, in an effort to to preserve how the game was invented and the instruments that they used to use when it all got going, um, you know, have become golf rules, golf laws. Um, and if the object is to have a stick in your hand that you whack a ball with, you absolutely could design stuff that would be, um, more appropriate to accomplish the goal than, um, than the rules of golf allow. However, um, in our case, uh, we we found something. We found a way to make the instrument more equipped um, to accomplish the task at hand um, with some really profound technology invented by uh, Bill Presley IV. I love that. So before we really get into the tech, I kind of wanted to just get your sort of assessment in the landscape of golf and history like to date. I mean, you think of the narratives in putting, right? You think of like straight back, straight through, like sort of an arc to a... Um, like a bladed putter. I just wanted to like kind of talk through that narrative with you uh, in like a little bit more depth to give people an idea of like the current state of the market and then like what lab's doing fundamentally and how it's different. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, we've all, uh, I mean, not all, but if, if you're, you know, kind of in the game at some point, um, you've probably heard a narrative 
um, around what type of putter you should be using based on um, the type of motion that you make. So like um, in its, you know, most sort of broken down basic form, the idea is if you're somebody that has a lot of arc to your stroke, meaning that the effectively the the shaft and the putter head um, move on a, a more pronounced uh, curve than the next guy, um, then you have an arcing gating stroke and the narrative tells you you should be using a, a putter with some toe hang. Um, and then uh, on the other side of that, if your path and everything is um, makes a straighter line, you should be using a face balance putter. Um, this narrative uh, is mostly brought to you by paint. Um, Ping does have, without question, uh, some of the finest minds um, in golf. They are crazy smart, really smart engineers, and they did do a lot of research. Um, however, there's a lot of holes, like big gaping holes in this narrative. Um, and uh, uh, interestingly enough, just yesterday, uh, Sanzi, who I don't, I don't know if he's actually a Ping employee, I know that he works with them very closely. Um, he's a... Um, really, really bright uh, biomechanics guy who's done all kinds of studies. I mean, just yesterday, um, he put out a, a study about um, just kind of taking a deeper dive into what putting a face balance putter versus a toning putter in your hands actually does. And um, it's honestly kind of the first uh, legitimized study and article that I've seen that starts to sort of pull apart this narrative. Um and, uh, you know, with technology and the way that we can measure and everything now, um, people are getting a deeper insight into how putters work and the effects that a different, you know, torque profile um, has on the player. And, um, and, you know, Sasha started to uncover what we've known pretty much since the invention of the, the revealer, which is the device we use to demonstrate our technology, um, that that narrative is just not quite right. Um, and one of my favorite uh, examples of this, um, it's just so cool to be able to, to sort of see it in real time. Patrick Cantlay um, has been a top 30 putter since he came on tour. Um, and when he came on tour, he was using a, a answer style Scotty Cameron, a Newport 2 of some kind, um, which is, I, I believe, the same putter he used to win his U.S. Amateur um, and used it the first few years on tour. And then in his mind, he, he'd got, gotten a little cold and started um, uh, uh, messing around with some putters and ultimately ended up with uh, a face-balanced mallet. Um, same stroke. Nothing has changed about, uh, as far as I know, um, about the, the depth of his arc or the amount of face rotation that he has throughout his stroke. And he has two putters that are on complete opposite ends of the, the torque profile perspective. And we all saw what happened when he's, you know, he, he's phenomenal. Like, he's just an unbelievable putter. Um, so, you know, it just sort of lends itself to, you know, the idea of being whatever works. It's not necessarily um, as cut and dry as this type of stroke dictates this kind of putter. Um, people people react to the instruments in their hand, and it's so difficult to to wrap it all up into a tight little package of this is how it should go. Um, what we've done at lab, um, is there's a million variables about the, the putter itself. Um, putter, you know, works on a bunch of different axes. Um, and the Z axis is the face. And what we've done is, um, 
just eliminate the the the, the variable of the z-axis torquing on you and needing to manipulate the face. Um, uh, if you keep our putter on plane, meaning you know maintain the line or maintain the shaft plane throughout the stroke, um, the putter is like actually working to seek square. Um, and, and that's why I love your guys's tech. Like for me, you know, I've always been a tinker. I've always been a guy who is willing to try new things. Like I grew up with, you know, tiger. So I grew up with like the Newport too. And then I went to like this cool Scotty Del Mar. So I always kind of been like a Scotty guy and then belly putters came out. So I had like a tailor-made ghost. And then I went itsy bitsy and I currently have like, uh, that, the tailor-made uh, putter that Dustin Johnson, I don't know the exact model, but Dustin Johnson. Uh, Spider GT, Batman that whole Batman looking one. Yeah. And like, again, cool putter. But in my eyes, it's just like, I want to make punts and it doesn't matter what I use. And if I can, if I can play better, that's what it's about. You know what I mean? 100%. Um, so, so like backstory, I guess, between like a really why I reached out is we had a guy who came on, his name's John Cassidy. He's a master club fitter up in Washington in DuPont, Washington at the home course. And we talked a little bit about like club fitting and then we got more specific into putters and he just said he fits everyone into your stuff. Um, he loves your guys' product and like everyone I think might have had my same reaction and like you've talked about it in other interviews as well. It's like, okay, well, you know, lab, you know, like the directed force putter, like that whole shape uh, that sticks out in a lot of people's minds and then they might like write it off until their buddy just like comes and whoops their ass. You know what I mean? So I was kind of the same way. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I went to the local uh, golf shop near me and I tried the Mez 1. And that kind of like stood out in my mind because it's similar, uh, I guess like a similar transition from the, the spider into the putter. And I'm like, dude, I have to get this guy on. Like I kept learning about your tech and I'm like, we need to get this guy on to learn about the, about the technology. So it makes too much sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I guess one thing I want to understand better is like, you know, on your website, you guys said, you guys say that 83% of putting like really comes from the, um, like the face of the putter where like the 17% is the past. So essentially like that whole narrative of, you know, we talked a little bit about like, that's all false, right? It's all, I mean, it's, 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 uh, there's the, the one thing that you cannot do if you're going to make a putt is not have the face pointed at where you're trying to start the ball. Um, you can have crappy speed as long as the speed errors on too hard. You can have a shitty path. You can have a shitty uh, angle of attack and still make putts. The face isn't square to where you're trying to start the ball. Um, there, you, you could, you know, um, with, with, when the when the, like on a driver, the ball physically compresses and actually stays on the face um, because of the speed at which the ball is being hit, um, the compression of the ball, and all that. With a putter, nobody hits a putter hard enough to get it to compress. Therefore, um, what they call gearing effect um, really doesn't take place at all. And if it does, it's incredibly minimal um, with a putter. And so, you know. I guess the less nerd speak way of saying that is, is that face angle is everything. So um, Billy Mayfair would be a great example. I don't know. I don't know how old you are if you have any idea who he is, but um, he uh, a, uh, had a very, very long, very successful career hitting one of the highest balls in the history of the PGA Tour 
and having one of the most fucked up putting strokes you have ever seen. Like he makes Will Zalatoris look like Patrick Cantlay. I mean, this thing, this thing was like, it, I mean, it went five different directions on a three foot putt. Um, he takes the putter like so far outside, loops it back around, cuts across it. Um, but the dude made putts like a lot of putts because he had a square putter face. So, um, yeah, so our, our putter helps with that, plain and simple. It just helps keep the face square um, effectively to where you where you started. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that some people struggle with early on with our stuff is that most people are pretty bad aimers. Um, and when you have, you know, particularly our, our flagship model, the directed force, which is, you know, crazy, crazy stable, um, if you're not aimed properly, you're going to struggle because the putter's working to actually arrive back at where it started. So, um, you know, path is in, path helps, um, certainly with consistency, um, speed helps with consistency. The role of the ball helps with consistency, but, um, uh, the, the main, the, 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 the most important aspect of it without question is base angle. Okay. No, that's really interesting. And, and, you know, listeners could go in and check out your guys' website and listen to your other interviews. But one thing I wanted to like hear directly from you was, just kind of a little bit about torque, because that's like a common thing that's brought up across your, you know, previous interviews. But I really wanted to get into like, what is torque and how does it impact, I guess, the putter, uh, just stroke and like, why should someone understand for, uh, torque? Um, what is torque? So, um, the best way to explain it is just through our own experiences that as golfers we've all had, which is that, um, we've all sent up over a putt with, you know, the the textbook baby bird grip with it nice and nice and soft you make stroke and inexplicably the face of the putter just gets out of control opens up it closes um that feeling of the face kind of doing its thing that's torque um the torque is is the putter you know if you manage to to keep the putter on the incline plane that it started at um besides our putter all other putters are trying to twist gravity is trying to bring them somewhere other than where you're trying to go and so that fight um is torque and the the goofy thing about golf is that I, like I, I i liken putting to you know i've, I've mentioned this before I, I call it a stroke sport so other other sports that that fit into that category would be pool um darts shooting a free throw is a stroke sport um uh even playing catch, you know, as soon as, as soon as you add, you know, sort of split second reaction, it becomes a bit of a different thing. But in golf, we don't have to do that because the ball is sitting still. And so it's a lot more, you know, we'll, we'll go with darts. Um, in darts, like, can you imagine how different the technique would be if the, the dart flew crooked? You know, we would have to create a whole new technique around accommodating the instrument rather than just looking at a target and reacting to the target the way that we do when we're throwing a ball, shooting a free throw, or throwing a dart. Um, we just look at the target. We release the object at what we you know want to be the target. In golf, we don't get to do that because we have a secondary task, which is to manage the, the, the ill-equipped instrument. Um, and so uh, what Lab has done has not fully turned it into a dart because you do have to apply, you know, torque to the handle in order to maintain the plane. 
um, and to keep the putter moving in transition and all that. Um, but you don't have to fight the face. You don't have to fight um, the torque of the face. So um, what this does on a, on a biological level is it gets your, your hands nice and soft and it gets you more target oriented because you don't have to sit there and micromanage the putter face. You just kind of get to look at your target and, and release the head towards the target. No, and I can attest that because like I said, at the golf shop, you know, I, I had the putter in my hand, the Mez one, and I literally couldn't hit a bad putt. Like when I tried to hit a bad putt, I couldn't, it was literally glued onto the line. I was putting on this line. And if I had my tailor-made, I mean, I could have easily, you know, pushed it. I could have easily pulled it. And it's just interesting to think like, you know, every golfer has this problem is not using a lap putter, you know? It's kind of just like mind blowing. It's like, what are, what are people doing? Like, why don't they just use a rod? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they, and they, and they do it. <laughs> well, I think a, they're starting to figure it out, but yes, uh, we spend a lot of time, um, uh, at the factory being like, just it, it I mean, it, it literally never stops. Like it never gets old for us. We never get, you know, whether it's customers coming in for fittings and watching their eyes light up when, they realized that it just didn't need to be as hard as it's been. Um, uh, and then, you know, I, I, I still got a couple of my old putters laying around. I pick them up every once in a while and it's, you know, I shake my head and be like, I have, I have no idea how I ever made putts this way. And, uh, you know, and not, and not only is torque, like before you added the human element of it, torque is a hard thing to manage. Now factor in that like, you know, unless you're like a highly tuned athlete calibrating your putting stroke every single day, um, the rest of us schmoes show up to the golf course with a different body than we had the day before. Our hands feel different, our, our legs feel different. All of these things are going to impact how you're going to react to the torque profile of your putter. So, you know, and this is the reason that, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever been through a proper putting, putter fitting, but I, you know, I'd been through plenty in my day before lab and like, I'd get fit for this putter and it would be amazing. And I would love it that day. And, um, then 10 days later, it's just like any other putter and ends up under the stairs and onto the next, because, um, even though the, the, I was fit for a putter that worked for me, it worked for me that day. Well, different the next day, we're ripping it a little tighter, a little looser, I'm standing up a little taller, whatever it is, that's going to change how you react to the torque profile of your putter. So back to lab, we've just eliminated that variable. So one day you're gripping it a little tight, one day you're gripping it a little loose, the, 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 the variance in your results is going to be significantly less with our putter than it is with a different one. And I get like the aesthetic of being, because you've you been playing golf for a while. I mean, I'm listening to some of your podcasts. Like I know you're a golf nut, obviously, but I get like the idea of like, like you know, liking the answer silhouette or like liking these silhouettes of like these Scotties that are, you know, like fine crafted or whatever, but it's just like the modern thing. Like that's what society is telling you is like the right sort of, you know, vibe for a putter. But the reality is it's like, we just want to make more putts. And I think there's like a time and place for, for those putters, like you said, but I kind of liken it to like, uh, an IC versus like a Tesla model plaid, you know, it's like this classic Ferrari looks cool in the driveway, but from like a driver performance standpoint, you, you want the Tesla, you know, you want the model plaid, right? Totally. I mean, most of us anyway, but yes, there's the, there are still, 
you know, a group of golfers out there who are, you know, just absolutely, you know, tried and true traditionalists. Um, and I'm super stoked about it. We just released a putter, uh, well, soft release of yesterday, full release tomorrow, uh, Lake One, which is, um, the chassis is an answer style. It's a, it's a regular old answer style head that we've managed to apply our technology to. Um, and, uh, it's been fun watching the social media comments, which just, you know, finally you guys are making a freaking putter that doesn't look like a freaking home defense instrument. And, uh, uh, yeah. So it'll be very interested to see how the traditionalists get on with the, with the length putter. And my hope is, is that, you know, they're able to feel the difference, um, with our technology, which then gets them wondering, well, okay, if, you know, link is smoothed out my stroke and, um, and it's a little easier to start it online. I wonder how much better I could do with, you know, the bigger Mes Max or the, or the directed force. Mm-hmm. So when you look at like the specs of the link versus, uh, the Mez and like the directed force performance wise, is it going to be pretty much the exact same, you know, thing as same role and. Yeah, I mean the the roll is you know has as much to do with um, half an angle of attack. So um, and the configuration is a little different. The link does not have it. it, it it's fractionally onset. The meds and the directed force have a lot of onset to them. The face is way in front of the shaft, um, which we mitigate with a little shaft lean and then our you know crooked press grip. Um, the link does not have any shaft lean, minimal onset, and no press grip. So. Um, you'll probably have a little bit of a different result at first with, you know, how the ball's coming off the face. Maybe not, but, um, it is a different configuration as far as the way that the, the lying balance tech plays out. Um, where, where you, the, the first moment that you're going to notice a difference is typically right off the ball. So, um, with uh, a toe hang putter, your putter's trying to close, uh, the second you take it off the ball, a face balance putter's trying to open, um, and one way or another, there's some kind of fight. So the second the putter comes off the ground and your hands and forearms need to engage to, you know, maintain a plane, um, you're going to have some reaction to how the putter is trying to twist. And with ours not trying to twist, right off the, right off the ball, people are like, whoa, it just kind of glides back. The smaller the footprint of the putter, the less pronounced this experience is. So, um, and, and mostly we're talking about heel to toe. So the link is actually bigger heel to toe than the Mez is. So, um, you know, if your experience has primarily been with the Mez, if you got a link, it'll feel a little bit more obvious to you. Um, then the Mez Max is a tiny bit bigger than the link. And then the directed force is, you know, big Papa Bear. And um, with the directed force, like, you, you can't miss it. I mean, there's no, there's nobody that's ever picked up that putter and been like, eh, just swung like another putter. Like, it just doesn't. You'll feel it instantly and so you know I, I love changing putters i mean before lab i had a bazillion and i was you know just a, a crackhead for the honeymoon period of, of putting and so i used to switch all the time and now um you, you know and then for a while all we had was the directed force and even though my results were fantastic i definitely got bored um and now it's pretty cool to be able to switch putters around and, and goof around without like having to reinvent the wheel and, and redo my stroke and my grip or whatever to accommodate the torque profile of, of the new putter I have. Now, all of our putters have the exact same torque profile. They're all like, like balanced. Um, they just look a little different. So it's fun, 
uh, fun to be able to switch it up a little bit now. Yeah. I still go back to the direct enforce probably 85% of the time. Oh, I was going to ask, so that's kind of, is that what's currently in your bag? Are you gaming that right now? Um, what is in my bag right now? Actually, I'll tell you, I, <laughs> I'm really fucking pissed, man. Um, I have been gaming a Directed Force 3, um, a brand new prototype. Um, there is one in existence, and it is in my bag. Um, and I just got word that it appears to be lost forever. What happened? What you, I went and played in California, shipped my bag back, and it never got to me. And now UPS is saying they can't find it anywhere. So The entire um, bag or just the butter? No, the entire bag. Um, and UPS is screwed because it's like, uh, you'd, you'd have a hard time assembling a more expensive set of golf clubs. And it's, it's all stuff that I've, you know, traded for and whatatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the irons had LA golf shafts in them, all of them. I had two auto flex shafts in that bag for a random reason. I had four different putters because I was down there showing them to some people and they're all decked out with, you know, all the fancy shafts and all the stuff. Um, I had some JP wedges in there. That's $600 a piece, I think, is what those things retail for. Um, so, Are you a Mura guy? Like, what what irons are you flying in? Like, what? Can we talk? I have a certain... Just sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, well, I want to know Sam the man. Like, because yeah. I want to hear what's down your bag, man. Like, it sounds pretty I, sick. Uh, I definitely love being in the industry, and it's been really fun to be able to trade putters for stuff that I otherwise would never have been able to afford. Um, I... Uh, I have spent most of the last year playing with a set of uh, Strixon ZX7s um, with some black Onyx uh, Tour Issue X100s in them. Um, I bought them sight unseen uh, just because I'd, I'd heard all the reviews and everybody was going on and on about how good the performance was. And a friend of mine named David Kelly, who's a, a really talented club builder in, in uh, Tennessee, um, came across a set and said, you got to have these. Um, I got them from him. Um, if, I, if I had seen them, I never would have bought them because I didn't like the way that they looked. I think that they're chunky and that's not like a, so they're not a blade. They're like a muscle cavity, or they're like a muscle cavity. Yeah, like a little like a player's blade, but they're a little chunkier than like a T one hundred or um, you know some of the other stuff out there. Um, but the performance is phenomenal, like just so good. And I keep trying to kick them out of my bag with something a little bit easier on the eyes, including a set of Muras, um, which I. Uh, the TC201s, I think. Um, and I waited forever for these things. And I found a set of those Onyx shafts that they don't even make anymore. Got these like pretty rainbow ferrules and um, had them all made up. And like the performance just isn't even close to those Strixons. So the mirrors are sitting, um, uh, sitting in my garage. Uh, fortunately, um, on this bag that I lost, um, because I do love those tricks aren't, well, not fortunately, I'm glad I didn't lose the tricks on, um, because they're pretty tough to find now, uh, especially cause they, they just came out with the newer version. But, um, the set I was using in California was, uh, set of new levels, um, and new levels, a killer company. They make great stuff. Um, yeah, and I heard the same kind of, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, they're 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 new up and comers. I know that they're getting a lot of love from uh, my golf spy lately. Um, they test really well. The owner is a guy named Eric Birch, um, who is a very seasoned industry veteran. Um, he actually invented uh, Club Connects, um, which is like the kind of universal 
click fit system that uh, I think TrueSpec, I think TrueSpec actually owns it now. Um, but yeah, super talented dude and makes great looking irons that perform exceptionally well. So I got a set of those. I got the Muras. Um, I have these random set of, uh, I think they're called, I, I don't even know what, I've never heard of it. It's a, um, a buddy of mine that he got to review. They're like tiny, teeny, tiny little Japanese blades. Um, and, uh, I mostly just bring those out to the driving range so that the one out of nine times that I catch it in the center, I can have a little golf gas. Um, but I don't use those too much. Um, and then I got a set of Mizuno, um, MP 67s, which are the ones with like the little thumbprint in the back, that little, like, yeah, weird cutout. Um, and I had those refinished in black. Those are pretty sexy. Dude, I want to see your garage. Like, I'll just see this. It's a, it's it's a, it's a bit scattered at the moment because I got half of it here and half of it at the at the factory. But when it's all sitting in my garage, I got you know built one of those little little racks of everything. It does look pretty pretty sexy. Yeah. Um, I got a whole mess of woods and wedges. Um, I mostly have been playing the TSI three for a driver. Um, I the oldest club in my bag is. Uh, um, which actually just may have lost its spot. Um, but the oldest club in my bag is a Cobra BioCell Plus 5 wood. That I think came out in 2010-ish, 11, somewhere in there. <laughs> um, yeah, that one's cool. It's like got a dent in it and this, you know, all this nasty lead tape all over it. And um, it just performs so well. Um what other interesting points of fact are there about my bag? Um, my favorite, I, I use uh, the Ping Tour Shaft um, in my driver in my woods, mm -hmm. even though I don't play any Ping, anything else. Uh, I, I, I want to say it's... Like the made-for Primo, like, Ping Shaft, really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I, I, I want to say UST makes it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it feels so good. The track man tells me that my numbers are, are phenomenal with it. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, um, I, I have it in my, my driver, my three wood, one of my five woods, and then I actually just got a hybrid version of it. So I got to find a hybrid, even though I don't usually use one. Yeah. Um, uh, so are you a big, like track sand guy or are you more like when you go through your bag like in your and you're kind of you know like creating this bag because it sounds like you got some heat in there dude are you like lining everything up on TrackMan and comparing numbers or is a lot of it like the aesthetic and kind of like you know the how hard it is to kind of find situation you know i mean with with the driver i'm certainly uh taking my cues from TrackMan for sure um with the rest of it, uh, mostly just applicable performance. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll use TrackMan to deal with the gapping. So, like, I, you know, I have a, a whole bunch of, I probably got a half a dozen different driving irons, if not more, um, that depending upon where I'm playing, uh, I'll, I'll swap in and out. I play, the, so the factory is located, um, in a building that sits overlooking the first tee in the ninth green of a course called Emerald Valley, um, actually, which is just outside in Oregon. So I know, I know of Emerald. You know it, yeah, yeah. It's a beast of a golf course. It's really hard, um, and uh, 
you know, I've played it a couple thousand times at this point. So I have a bag that is like specific to Emerald Valley for the, you know, exactly the shots I know I'm going to need a hit um, that doesn't necessarily work when I, when I travel. But um, so yeah, I'll use TrackMan to, to, to dial in the gapping and make sure that, you know, the, the woods and the driving irons and stuff are going as far as I need them to. But uh, other than that, no, I mean, I, I screw around a bunch with, um, I got had a hard time. Uh, and this was the purpose of this new level set that, uh, that got lost. Um, so I, I swing the club pretty fast, you know, up around 115 miles an hour. Um, but I have like nine year old boy strength. I'm like 140 pounds broken wet. I have zero core strength, zero arm strength. And I'm lifting up my, you know, 133 gram X 100 shafts with these big heavy iron heads is like laborious for me. Um, and so I'm always trying to figure out if there's something that'll, be a little bit easier to draw the club back um but still give me you know kind of the feel of of a super heavy stiff shaft um in transition there but i i've done it a million times and tried a million different shafts and i always end up coming back to x100s all right so that was a lot for the average listener like you know i know i know you're a super you're like you're just a golf nut and that's why i love talking to you man i know you're like you're one of those guys who's like you said my golf spy you're deep into like wrx like maybe not the average golfer is as, as kind of nutty as you know what I mean? And like into tech as you obviously, well, I, you know, I, I don't know that I, I, I've met, I mean, and this includes people that I meet out on tour. I I've met maybe a dozen people in my life that are as obsessed and um, psychotic about equipment as I am. Right. So I want to bring it back, man. Like I want to hear about your story because I think you have like a pretty awesome story as far as like how you got in like involved with lab. And I just want to like pitch that, and like hear about that from you, like the whole kind of like origin story of how this all came to be. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I, I grew up in Chicago. Um, and I, I played when I was young for sure. You know, my dad showed me how to hold the club and how to swing. We used to play on the weekends here and there. Um, and I always loved the game. Like I, I was, Oh, I always, you know, was that like obsessive, you know, crackhead type with the game. Like I, 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 then and now you never have to ask me if I want to play more golf. Like if, if 18 holes is finished and guys are waffling about going out to play another nine, like they don't even ask me, um, because they know I'm game and I've always been that way, but I didn't really know how to play well. Um, I think by the time I left home, when I was 18, um, I was probably 18 handicap, 15 handicap, something like that. Um, and then, uh, I moved out to Oregon. Um, I ended up in Oregon. I'm, uh, I was a musician. I was a touring musician and, um, traveled around the country. Play. Uh, um, I'd met a girl in Eugene and, uh, I eventually decided to kind of settle there. And this, at this point I wasn't really playing any golf because I traveled, obviously. Um, and, uh, and settled in there, we bought a dog and, um, we moved right next to a dog friendly golf course. And so, um, got a set of clubs going and just started playing again, just as an excuse to walk the dog around. Um, and you know, I, the time I was, yeah, you know, it was a bit of a stoner and like, um, finding, uh, you know, like-minded folks to, to golf with was a bit of a Eugene's challenge. It's a great place, right? 
It is. It's, it turns out. So yeah, I met uh, I met a dude who uh, was good. He was like a I don't know three four handicap something like that. And um, and so yeah, we just we, uh, because most of the work I was doing was either playing music, and now at this point I was uh, actually booking music. I was a talent buyer for a venue. Um, I had nothing to do during the day, and we had this awesome nine hole golf course right in the middle of the city. Um, and we just used to go around and around and around and around. Um, and I really got the bug. Um, and about 18 months after I met him, I was a scratch player, um, down from, you know, 15 or whatever it was. And, um, you know, put up a net in my garage. I watched every single golf broadcast, um, Thursday, Friday included, and, um, just went full tilt obsessive, um, and continue to, you know, dial in the game. Um, uh, I met my wife and, uh, we started having babies and for a minute there, it seemed like I should probably get like a, um, I don't know, an adult job that wasn't me hanging out at bars until three in the morning. And, um, so for, I mean, I, I think the whole, the whole spin five months long, I actually, um, turned professional and taught a few lessons and worked as an assistant pro, really? um, at a golf course. Yeah. And it, for I mean, li- literally twelve minutes. I mean, it was like so. Wait, in Eugene as well? Like, where out in Eugene? Because I'm like, this was uh, this this is at uh, Diamond Woods in Monroe. Uh, it's a cool course. It's a great layout. Like one of the best layouts anywhere around. It's just the the conditions pretty dodgy. Right. But um, but yeah. So I worked under Burke Nelson there. Do you know who Burke is? No, he's a he's an Oregon legend. He was an All American at um at Oregon State and he was for a while ranked number two in the country next to Tiger. Oh shit. So uh he was in he was in that era. He finished second at the Pac tens and lost by fifteen to Tiger, I believe. Damn. Um but, <laughs> but yeah, he was a good player and um still a good friend. So yeah, I worked for him, but it just didn't take. I hated being in the business. I didn't like teaching lessons. I certainly didn't like being behind the counter, you know, on a beautiful day when everybody was out there golfing. So that didn't last very long at all. Um, got my amateur status back and, um, and then just continued to grow my, you know, my, my booking business and got involved in some other things. I eventually uh, opened my own bar uh, venue. Um, so I was deeply entrenched in that scene and then, um, you know, would bounce around between kind of one and plus two on the handicap. Not particularly good at competition or anything like that, but still a very obsessive player and, you know, a good player in the area. And then, um, I was notorious for being a putter psycho. Um, and, uh, I had tons of them and every day I'd show up with a new one positive that it was the answer. And, um, by the seventh to 12th hole, it turns out it wasn't the answer. Um, and then, uh, uh, you you mean like the silhouette answer or like the actual like answer answer? No, like the, the answer for my, my wildly inconsistent putting, um, and, uh, I mean, included was plenty of ping answers and Napa's and Rossi's and all the, I mean, I, I, I tried them all and, um, and then, uh, and they all sucked. And so I had decided at the time that like, if they were all going to suck anyway, I might as well look cool. So I was like super into like Napa's and, um, you know, old school refinished Newports and, you know, rando answer style putters that, uh, you know people were making and um and then a guy duncan um who was the coach at emerald valley for a time he's now up at uh tedero and bend i believe um showed me this putter and um i saw it i 
you know, threw up in my mouth a little bit and was like, dude, I'm, I'm not using your stupid ass infomercial puddle putter. Sorry, dudes. And, uh, he said, he asked me to give him nine holes. Um, and I, I, I one putted the first seven greens with a total of probably 150 foot worth of putts made in seven holes. And, um, I about shit myself and ran into a group on eight and I was like, fuck this. And I just drove right back to the clubhouse and I was like, what the hell is this? Um, I bought it on the spot and then, uh, um, it showed up and I had, because I was already such a putter psycho, like everybody was like, I mean, talking a lot of shit. But if someone's going to use it at that point, it's you because you're the psycho guy, you know? Like, it makes sense. Well, of course, which, but it made sense except for that it, you know, it, I I had no credibility as as somebody to judge, but people were giving me so much shit about this putter. um, And I'm really happy that they did because I got, um, because, you know, I had a brief honeymoon period followed by, you know, what we now call the Torque Hangover. Uh, where when I missed a few, the old bag of tricks that I'd used to fix myself didn't really work. Um, and for a minute there, I mean, I, I it, it truly some of the worst putting of my entire life for about a week and a half um, after that initial honeymoon period. Um, but I was so stubborn because of, you know, how positive everybody was that I was going to throw it in the river. Um, I, uh, I kept at it. Um, and and that but at this point at that point was it a lab golf or was it still directed force no it was called directed force um it was a tiny little company in reno nevada Mm -hmm. literally um operating in an office inside of a piston factory it was like this like little dark closet off to the corner um and the company was called directed force that putter looks even worse than it does now the branding was bad um, the colors were bad. The sound was bad. The did feel it was bad. like the forward press grip as well, or it did, but it was, it was, uh, we still sell that grip. It's called the OG. It's the, the big heavy rubber one. Um, very awkward feeling and looking. Um, and it just, it, it looks like an infomercial product. I mean, it just didn't look legit. Um, but that period where I had to figure out my own way out of the hangover, um, as I look back on it now was probably the most important thing that happened. Um, because I, I sort of forced myself to rethink putting and, um, I wanted so badly for the putter to work the way that it did that first day. Um, and I had to spend a lot of time thinking about why that was. And then ultimately, you know, I was like, look, I've seen it in the revealer. This putter is trying to stay square by itself. So clearly what I'm missing here is, is that I'm not letting it do its thing. I'm trying to manipulate it into, to, you know, keeping the control in my hands instead of just sort of letting go and letting the putter find square all on its own. And that process of getting it dialed in not only created my um, absolute passion for the technology, um, but also helped me develop, develop my ability to communicate the technology um, and, and to give people confidence that like, yeah, you might struggle at first because this is different. It's a really, really different thing. It feels different. It looks different. It rolls different. Everything's different. And um, and then, uh, three, four weeks after that, the, the fucking head fell off the putter, just plopped right off uh, UPS again, or was that something else? Nope. This was just, uh, I, I mean, it's, you know, the head's huge and because of where the shaft is located, it really takes abuse depending upon 
what kind of bag you have and where it sits. So I think it just got knocked around a bunch and um, actually sidebar to a couple of years later wasn't the bag. It was just uh, some issues with the design that we ultimately ended up changing. We had a hard time keeping the head on these things. Um, but yes, yeah, so the head fell off. Um, I sent it back. Um, and then Bill Pressy, who was, you know, pretty much a one man show at the time running the company, um, you know, called me up to apologize. And, um, and then he and I got to talk and we like, were totally kindred golf spirits and, um, we became friends and, uh, he helped me with my putting a little bit. And, you know, we talked about the design and the business and the whole thing and everything that was going on. And then about a month or two after that, um, directed force had, had run its course and they were about to close the doors and, um, there was no more funds available. Uh, uh, they had, you know, manufacturing issues, no marketing, no bones, no infrastructure, no nothing. Um, and it was Bill and a handful of other guys that he partnered with. Um, and given that it was better than nothing, uh, uh, I, I offered to buy out, um, Bill's existing partners and then partner directly with Bill and, um, and we did that back in, I think everything was all signed and done early 2018. Um, yeah. And then, uh, uh, we rebranded his lab and, um, got a new space and, um, just, you know, piece by piece, brick by brick, just kind of turned it into a real company. But there was, you know, there was like five of us for a very long time there. I was running the company remotely from Eugene while he was at Reno. Um, and then present day. We're in a 15,000 square foot factory. We got 30 employees. We got thousands and thousands of putters all over the world. We got people on tour using it. And, um, you know, relative to how these things usually come about, I mean, it's, a, it's been a pretty rapid, uh, rapid transition. Dude, that's so badass. That's incredible. 2018 to where you guys are today. I mean, I see, I see lab all the time. I remember, uh, I'm a, I'm a not. I like watching live. I, I remember seeing like Sergio use the lab. I saw, what was it? Kim use the lab at the Ryder Cup. Uh, all these guys are using lab. I mean, uh, you love to see it, right? Do they come in and like get tested at uh, your guys' facility in uh, Eugene? No, not usually. Um, uh, I mean, the, the facility we're in now is actually brand new. Um, before that, we were at this little factory in, uh, in the Winnegar neighborhood over by Nicasa, you probably know. But um, uh, um, no, I mean, we. I have a, um, we caught a really, really lucky break. Um, it's actually sort of an underrated part of our story. So, um, when I got the company, my first order of business obviously was to get, get the, get the putters out on tour. Um, I called up the PGA tour to figure out how that works, like how you get, you know, access to the putting green. And they were like, well, you have to, you know, have a player using it and have to have X number of plays on tour before, um, before we can, we can give you a credential you know, what's the name of your company? And I was like, directed force. And they're like, oh, it looks like you've had 15 plays already. And we're like, huh? And it turns out, um, uh, I'm going to forget his name. Oh, that's so embarrassing because he's been such a good dude. Um, it's a New, uh, New Zealander, a lefty New Zealander um, uh, that bought the putter out of a pro shop, um, which is wild because like the idea that there was a stock left-handed directed force in front right. how did it get there you know ups again right <laughs> <laughs> um so he'd actually been using it in competition so we had enough uh plays to earn a credential um so uh but yeah to answer your question as far as how these guys get fit um you know i stand out there on the or it's actually not me anymore it's a, a 
uh, awesome young guy who works for us named Liam Bedford is now our tour rep. But for a while, it was me. I'd go out there for, you know, five to 10 events a year, plop the bag down on the side of the green and, and sort of wait for folks to come out. And, you know, it was pretty, pretty, pretty slow there for a while. Um, you know, occasionally I'd get the, but most of the guys that, um, ended up using it those first few years, it was usually kind of the same scenario because I was, you know, I'm not a rep, I'm an owner. So like, you know, most of the reps pack up right at five o'clock and go home and I'd stay out there until dark. Um, and, uh, it was usually the, uh, the desperate souls, you know, grinding away at sunset, trying to find tournament starts and, you know, it'd be basically just me and them on the putting green. And eventually they have to look over and be like, all right, what the hell is that thing? Let me try it. And, um, we got lucky there a few times like that. Um, and then, uh, and then it was Adam that sort of changed everything. Adam Scott sort of changed everything. And that started with, uh, Kelly Slater. So Kelly Slater also just randomly ended up with the putter, bought it out of a shop in San Diego. Wonder which shop. Cause I, like I said, I'm based, I wonder if it was like fairway golf. Uh, Carlsbad. Carlsbad. No, it was, uh, Carlsbad, uh, oh, really? Carlsbad golf. Um, Carlsbad golf center, I think it's called. Um, and, uh, um, so he started using it. He made a post about it. Somebody sent that to us and through a random connection, we actually found a way to get in touch with him. So, um, he started using it with the game, uh, you know, pals, uh, at least putter pal. Um, and him and Autumn spent a lot of time together and they played together at Pebble beach. Um, uh, Kelly put the lights out with, you know, his big, huge, very upright directed force. And, um, and then the next week I got a call from Adam Scott and, um, uh, this was at Riviera and, uh, I was actually just telling the story the other day. Um, it's pretty funny. So yeah, he's like, why don't you meet me in the locker room? We can talk about getting the butter for me. I'm like, cool, Adam Scott. Sure. I'll go meet you in the locker room. Um, and, uh, I go in there, find his locker. Um, he's there in his underwear talking to, um, the foot joy guys and they're talking about shoes, you know, like a legitimate shoe consultation. I'm sitting there listening to this conversation. There's like a bench behind me. I sit down at the bench while I'm, you know, waiting for him to finish up. And like, I had no idea that there was that amount that, that one could talk about shoes that much, but they talked about shoes for like 10 minutes. And then like, and then he turns around. And I'm like, Hey, I'm Sam. And he like puts his, 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 his foot up on this bench. And like, I'm like cornered by a half-naked Adam Scott with, like, his junk right in my face, and, like, I can't stand up because it would have been awkward, and, um, uh, you know, I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a handsome man, and it was a very distracted conversation. Um, but eventually, he moved away, and I got to stand up and sort of get my bearings, and we worked together and found a, found a, found a good, good spec, and um, uh I actually have a, a fun video of the very first putt he hit with his directed force at Riviera was this nasty, I don't know, 25, 30 foot bender might've broken 10 feet. Um, and just goes across the front edge and didn't go in. But, um, so that was the start of that. He put it in play the following week at, um, at the Honda, um, and used it. And this was a yeah, show. Putt. So this was all short putter because I know he's a big broomstick guy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and he used it, uh, all the way through the masters and he actually led the masters for, um, the first, uh, first two rounds of the 2019 masters using it. Um, and then 
had a like catastrophic Saturday with it. Um, and it was so sad and so frustrating because he had been using it really, really well. Um, and, uh, at the time he was traveling with our short putter, um, and then a Scotty broomstick and a Scotty arm lock. And he had it in his head that the arm lock worked a little better when the greens got slow. And Saturday morning he woke up and somebody told him it was going to rain. So he spent all morning warming up with the arm lock and the arm lock is a very different setup with a very different ball position. And, um, so he spent an hour dialing in the arm lock and then right at the last second, um, had, uh, John Lamont, who's caddy at the time, uh, uh, run back and get the directed force, um, but didn't really work to change his setup. So the, I mean, I, we have a picture of it. I mean, he scooted his ball back a full. That's kind of gnarly to think he would do that. He would just switch leading the Masters on a Saturday. He would just, dude, he's a stud like that. Like he, oh, he's awesome. And like people give him a lot of shit for the tinkering and the whatever. And like, he's not like I was, he's not like, he's not chasing. The thing he does is way more deliberate than it would appear. Um, he is an extremely intelligent guy. And I would say probably knows as much, if not more about equipment than most of the reps out on tour. Like he really, really knows his stuff. Um, and he's also just brave, like, you know, and, and, you know, similar to like Phil, you know, if there's an, if there's an edge somewhere, He's not afraid to go and, and try and get it. Um, and so, you know, the, it, whatever idea he had about, you know, the arm lock being better on slow greens wasn't just a theory. He had, he had clearly tested that theory. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. I'm just thinking it's like, holy, I could imagine doing that, man. <laughs> I mean, got it happens more often than you think. I mean, I, I, it was the story with Faldo's first Masters, I think, was the same scenario. I think he changed... I want to say he switched into that Rossi 2 on Saturday um, and had a crazy Saturday round and, and kept it going. Um, so guys do stuff like that. And But yeah, Adam Adam knows what he's doing, man. And he's, you know, the, the funny thing about him is like, he... Uh, He's missed the wrong putt at the wrong time a handful of times. Um, you know, we all saw him, you know, miss a couple of really important par putts, I think, at, at Royal St. George's. And, um, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think now, we, you know, he missed a short one in a playoff. So people have this idea that he's a shitty putter. Um, he's phenomenal. Like, he is actually one of the most consistent putters of the last 15 years. Um, and he is the most consistent lag putter on tour for the last 15 years, no matter what putter he's using. Like his lag putting is unreal, like unbelievable. Like you just see him practicing these things across the green, 40, 50, 60 feet, and they all end up a couple inches right next to the hole. Um, so, uh, he really is a very, very fine putter. Um, and, uh, it's just so cool to be working with him and to be, you know, in any way, a part of his team and, um, and he's been so helpful with his feedback and, um, and talking about it. And so, yeah, I got talking about him just because other players really do respect him and his take on equipment. So, um, you know, them see, seeing him use it uh, definitely got a lot more people reaching out. What's it like working with these guys? I mean, or do they want to know about all the tech and or are they more of just like field guys or is it really just case by case? It's mostly case by case. And, um, my guy Liam 
is doing such a better job working with them than I did because I cannot help myself and I want to explain the tech to them. And, you know, like, I, I talked to you about my transition into the putter and like, I want to help these guys through that. You can't do that with a tour player. Like, they just, like, you can't tell a tour player that they might have to slightly alter their technique in order to accommodate our technology. Um, it's just absolute kryptonite to them. I mean, these guys are the finest players in the world and uh, they don't want to hear about changing shit. They just want something to work. And um, so I probably, if I'm totally honest, I've probably talked more guys out of using our putter um, unintentionally, you know, just because I overdo talking about the tech and whatever. And that Liam is just so good about, you know, offering a tip here or whatever, you know, something here and there and just being subtle and, um, and letting guys, you know, just having the patience to let these guys arrive there on their own. Um, but it depends on who you're working with. They're all very, very different. Um, uh, you know, some of them, it, it's actually rare that you'll find somebody, um, super cerebral that really wants to get into it and understand the tech A Adam does. Um, he never actually put one in play, but, um, I was fortunate enough to pass a few putters to uh, to Jim Furyk and get some feedback. And he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life. Um, and he really, really understood the tech and wanted to um, to know everything about it. And then, um, you know, on the other side of it, uh, what's a good example? Um, I mean, works a little bit with Jason Duffner. He's actually a little bit more deliberate about his equipment than you might think. Uh, he's a Scotty guy, right? Try to think of some. He's a whatever's working that week guy. Um, yeah, he switches a lot. I think he's currently using his spider last I checked. I haven't, been, I haven't seen him yet this year, but um, but yeah, I mean, mo most of the guys just like, hey, I heard about it. Build me one. Let me see if it works. Um, and that's that. Um, so, uh, but it's fun. I mean, the, it never gets old. It's fun seeing too, like, Let's get into that, man. Who, who are you starstruck with? Other than Adam Scott's junk in the locker room with... <laughs> um, uh, I would say the most intimidated and uncomfortable that I have been meeting a tour player was definitely BJ. Dude, BJ's another crazy guy. Like, he's super technical as well as this equipment, right? Like, you always hear him tinkering. He's nutty. He yeah. tinkers like crazy, and I never got past the. He never really let me in, you know. He would uh, ask for what he was asking for, but I mean, he is a big dude, and like I mean, he, whatever height he is, I don't know six three, six four, but like his presence, the whole thing, like he is a massive man. His hands like wrapped around my hand twice, um, and uh, yeah. He, Dude, and I still, my heart still thumps thinking about him. Um, and he's tried our stuff here and there, but uh, I never fully got, um, you know, the opportunity to really grind out uh, his thoughts on putters and technical stuff. Um, I don't know. I'll uh, still to the, the you know, I've, I've met them all at this point. I've met all the. Um, I got to spend a little bit of time with, um, 
a lot of the guys in Claude Harmon's stable this this last year with the Live Tour, um, yeah, including some big names there. Uh, you know that we're using it, and they were a little bit you know intimidating, but for the most part, I was okay with it. And then, like, I still every time I see a message from uh, Jim Hardy, do you know who that is? Um, he's the author of the Plain Truth for Golfers, sort of uh, the, the guy that one plane, two plane, that whole that whole thing. Um, that's him. Him and uh, Chris O'Connell um, manage uh, um, a methodology called the Plain Truth. Um, Chris is uh, uh, Matt Kutcher's coach, as well as a few others. Jim's worked with everybody. The dude's played with Ben Hogan. I mean, he, he's... Um, but yeah, and, and his book really changed shit for me. And when I met him, that was early on at a PGA show. Like, I mean, I was just over the moon. Like my heart... And then, like I said, every time I see a text from him, like my heart just starts pumping. And then... But then I have, you know, no problem talking to Sergio or whoever else. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun meeting all those guys, and I love just listening to them talk on the range. I eavesdropped as, as often as I can to hear what they're working on with their coaches and all of it, and it's, uh, it's absolutely cool. thrilling. That's so cool. All right, so taking it back to the golfer, taking it back to, like, the average golfer, like, what can they expect? Or, or like, how would you kind of recommend them talking or, or kind of going through that honeymoon, honeymoon phase that you said exists? I'll tell you what's really interesting is that the better the player the more pronounced that hangover period is um because good players have figured out how to manage torque they've developed a system and a bag of tricks around you know managing misses um that they understand a little bit more in depth than you know your your average weekend warrior um what i have found is that most average golfers are actually under the impression that their putters already do stay square by themselves. And, um, and they, they operate accordingly. And, uh, and so when they get our putter, um, it's actually an easier transition because the putter's doing what they thought that their putter already did. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different for everybody, but the, 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 at the core principle that needs to be understood um, is uh, that like I was saying before every other putter that you've ever used you need to keep the face square and with ours you need to let the face stay square and that's different for everybody um, generally you see a lot of people make grip changes because you know the goal of the way that the hands go on the putter historically has been about um, uh stabilizing the putter face um and now with our putters it's about kind of neutralizing the grip to to in a way destabilize the putter face let the putter face work for you um so just that mentality you know grip it light um uh and just you know figure out a way to sort of organize your body to to let the putter do its thing i've got a few drills and stuff on youtube if you you know the lap golf drills um you got the one-handed drill and the some fun stuff you can do with the directed force, putting um, one or two balls in that uh, bean-shaped cutout back of the putter. Um, we have people putt with their thumbs off the putter all the time. To Yeah, I saw that one yesterday. Because in my mind, I'm going to Bandon soon. I'm going to Bandon in February, like second week of February. I'm ordering the putter right after. It's a terrible idea. So I'm going to go through. Terrible. Really? Bandon is the worst the worst place on planet, on planet Earth to try and dial in a putter. Have you, have you played? 
Well, I'm not. No, I'm going to have a couple weeks oh, okay. to dial it in. You know, <laughs> like I'm because I'm going and I'm going February second, or excuse me, the second week of February. So I have like pretty much a month to get dialed. You know, yeah, that. But yeah, but we we had people that would come and you know stop by the studio on their way to to band, and I'm like, dude, don't don't play it. <laughs> You're just going to get mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nobody makes putts abandoned. You know, if you do it by accident, yeah. it's such a hard place to putt. But, but anyway, yes, uh, yes, the thumbs off troll is a great way to get dialed in quick. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, lag putting is sometimes a bit of a, a bit of a thing for people because, um, you, you probably heard me talk about this a little bit on some of the other shows too. The brain registers torque as weight. And so when you remove the torque, um, the putter actually feels light, even the directed force, which looks like this monster head. Um, as soon as you're kind of in transition for some, the putter kind of disappears. And the more you accelerate the putter, the more it disappears. And so um, the trick with lag putting, which obviously you'll be doing plenty of down at Bandon, um, to get the ball to the hole, which is where people typically struggle, is to swing the putter longer, not harder. Um, longer, exactly. Harder. Use, okay. use the length of the stroke. Use gravity to control your speed um, rather than rapid acceleration. As soon as you rapid accelerate, um, you have to add tension to your hands um, in order to, you know, uh, uh, keep the putter from getting out of control. And as soon as you add tension to your hands, A, you lose feel, and B, um, you're now steering the putter instead of letting the, the face do its thing. So nice, big, long strokes. Um, I, I tell people, you know, to dial in lag putting, drop three or four balls and put them across the green with just your right hand, um, just sort of getting used to letting the weight of the putter do its thing. Um and uh, you should be off to the races. Yeah. No, I'm excited, man. I'm ready to kick my buddy's ass. I, you know, they're going to be listening to this, so they're probably smiling to themselves. But the next thing I kind of wanted to ask you is, I know you guys have different shaft options on your site. So I was probably, the way I'm thinking through this is like, I wanted to ask you, should I go Mez 1 or Mez 1 Max? And then I have this like, um, like just, this breakthrough golf technology, uh, that that all black one. I have that in my spider now. I was gonna rip that out and put it in the as uh, don't do that. because uh, the no, because the shaft shafts actually will change the way that the putter balances. So unless we build it with that shaft in it, if you were to retroactively put that shaft on it, it's gonna knock it out of balance. Um but uh okay. um you know, if you tried the BGT, I'd probably encourage you to check out some of the other ones. <clears throat> I mean, what I say to people when they're, when they're asking about shafts, um, the technology that all these guys are trying to employ is all, they're all working towards the same thing. So, um, shafts, putter shafts do flex and they do recover. Um, and depending upon, you know, the, the rate of acceleration in your transition, um, or in any number of other factors, um, this can have a fairly pronounced effect on your results, particularly um, the, the further away you get from the hole. Um, so on paper, you want your putter shaft as stiff as humanly possible, except for that when you get them really, really stiff, they start to feel like shit. And so what these guys have all done is figured out a way to make a super, super stiff shaft that still feel pretty good. Um, and, and they all feel a little different. Um, BGT I'd probably describe as sort of like the the hardest, um, sort of a hard clicky feel. Um, LAGP is sort of study. Um, I would describe, um, the Acra as lively. Um, 
And then the steel shafts that we put in there, um, and we tip the shit out. So they're, they're also incredibly stiff and it's a very standard, but, um, uh, very high quality, uh, stepped steel shaft from, uh, from true temper. Um, and when I say to guys is like, you know, if you're ordering this putter and money is not a huge concern, go for it. Get one of the upgraded shafts. Even if it's only 1% better, it's still 1% better. Who cares? Um, we're all trying to get a little edge. Um, if you're trying to save a few bucks, the shaft is not going to be life-changing. Um, uh, and it's, it's the, the benefits from it, unless you're actually sitting there on a Quintec hitting 60 footers, um, it, it's, you know, you may have a, a subjective appreciation for it. You may just like the way it feels. Um, but as far as like, you know, like with our putter, you start banging in six footers, like you could feel something different is going on. Um, it sounds like you have that experience where it's just like, holy shit, the shaft differentiation is not going to be a holy shit moment. It's going to be subtle, um, but it is there. Um, and you know, that's good to know. Cause I was, I was like interested. I was wondering like, oh, okay. You know, I saw the, the BCG, the all, which is a sick shaft, man. Like the aesthetics of that shaft are like, holy fuck. Like I need this, but okay. I, I will put it in. We'll put it yeah. Right. And they, you know, they, they all work. And, and, you know, if you need a testament to the fact that they work, just look at what's going on on tour. I mean, so many of these upgraded, um, putter shafts are, are, are making their way into guys' bags. And, um, so, uh, yeah, they're a thing. I, uh, I use the Acura most of the time. Um, occasionally I'll test some of the other stuff. Uh, we are actually currently, I'm super excited. Um, we're working to develop a putter shaft um, with a company called TPT. Um, and I'm not, are you familiar at all with them? No, you're dropping so many bombs on me, man. TPT is the like, these guys are, these guys are truly the best in the business. Um, they are, they were, they're not golf people first. They were carbon fiber people first. And they came up with some incredible technology okay. that allows them totally granular control over every aspect of the shaft. Um, that they have since applied to golf. Um, so uh, they are, I believe, a Swiss-based company um, somewhere in Europe. Um, they got guys on tour using them. Jason Day's been using it for years. Um, uh, and they're, they're just starting to kind of make their way out in the world. They're very expensive. Um, I think their driver shafts are eight, 900 bucks, something like that. Um, but really, really high quality stuff. And you, you know, there's a million different options to, to fit you properly. Um, and we're working with them to develop a putter shaft. So probably going to be six or eight months before those make it to market, but, uh, I'm really excited about it. I'm testing the prototypes as we speak. Damn, dude, that sounds so sick. I'm looking at their site right now. It looks, uh, looks pretty awesome. So, ah, man, well. Dude, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I really appreciate, you know, you coming on and just letting people, you know, sharing your story, talking about the tech. Cause I, I love the tech so much. And like, I'm really excited to get my putter and hopefully have it dialed before abandoned. But super grateful for you, man. Thank you for like delivering this to the world and like for the people, because putting is such a, such a like annoying thing. You know, it should be easier. And I know when I have the mez in my hand, like I can just be, athletic i don't think about stroke i just think about target and that's what it's about absolutely right? and uh you know just like our just like one of our one of our little taglines says putting doesn't have to suck um so uh we are in the business of making putting suck less and um hopefully it works out for you you'd asked me before and i didn't answer so which one you should get mez or mez max um i would go with the max 
And, and if you can stomach it, I would go with the directed force. I'm always advocating for people to go with as much technology as is possible. Um, and strictly technologically speaking, the directed force is still the most technologically advanced putter on the planet. Um, but I, I appreciate that some people can't look at it and uh, the Mez Max would be um, number two on the uh, you know forgiveness scale and, um, and all that. So particularly if you're going out to Bannon, you're going to miss hits and putts because the wind's going to blow your putter around and um, it'll be nice to have a little little wider profile. For sure. Real fast, favorite courses in Oregon? Um, you, yeah, Tokati's going to be, I mean, do we, are we excluding the Bandon Resort from this since it's, it's too obvious? Oh, uh, you could throw Bandon in, throw Bandon in. Um, and then do it without Bandon. I guess maybe like top, top five. Top five, top ten. I, I'll, I'll tell you what, number one, I'm just going to put the whole resort into number one. Every one of those courses is right, fucking yeah. amazing and they all have something different to offer. Mm-hmm. I would rank the Bandon courses separately. Um, I would say uh, Bandon Trails is my number one. Bandon Dunes is number two. Dude, me too. I love Trails. I love Trails. Trails is number one. Bandon Dunes is number two. Um, Old Mac is number three. Um, uh, Sheep Ranch is number four. And Preserve is number five. I actually don't particularly care for um pacific dunes which i know makes me a bad person anyway yeah because that's number one on the band and list right i mean if you look at galt yeah i feel the same i know i find it quirky as shit like you yeah, i've I played awesome there and shot 78 and i've played like absolute shit and shot 69 I mean, it just doesn't really seem to correlate with how you play out there anyway um besides that number one is going to be tokati i plan to retire uh, right up the mckenzie right next to Right next to Tokati. Um, number two is going to be... I have to say Emerald Valley. It really is a phenomenal golf course. Uh, maybe not the prettiest in the world, but it is so tough and it's brought out so many um, good things out of my game. I mean, it just forces you to be a good player. Um, number three is going to be... Oh, dude, I grew up I grew up getting lessons at Waverly. I love Waverly. It's like a special place in my heart. Yeah. Beautiful golf course. Super cool. Um, next is going to be Eugene Country Club, um, which is typical or used to pretty typically find its way out of the top 100 yeah. private courses out there. Awesome golf course. Uh, Robert Trent Jones designed, and then Robert Trent Jr. came in and um, had like a fuck you dad moment and uh, reversed the whole course and turned all the greens into tee boxes and vice versa. It's an awesome golf course. And then number five, number five, number five, number five. Um, it's kind of random because it's, it's, it's definitely a resort course and it's not like that spectacular, but every time I play Brasada Ranch up in Bend, I have such a good time. It is just such a fun course with so many fun scoring opportunities. It's pretty. There's, uh, you don't see anybody else out there when you're out there. It's a very cool course. All right. The hot take. There you go. Awesome, Sam. Well, thank you so much. I'd love to have this conversation again. Um, but anyways, I'm going to end it right here. Appreciate you, man. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Sam. He's a really cool guy, super down to earth. Just a, I mean, great guy. I don't know how else to say it. Anyways, um, if you haven't already, again, we'd really appreciate a five star ranking. I uh, would really appreciate you sharing this with your family and friends. We're looking to, you know, get into as many phones as possible. Um, at the end of the day, what we try to do is just provide value to listeners, be it in the form of entertainment you know, with conversations between Scott and I about how we can improve our game, 
or getting on really interesting and cool guests like Lab Golf and like Sam. So if you enjoyed, we'd appreciate that five-star ranking. Um, and I look forward to dropping more pods in the future, looking to do a weekly pod drop. Um, and that you know would include either conversations between Scott and I or, or really cool guests um, such as this one. So hope you enjoyed and hope you have a great day. Take care.